Welcome to Transatlantic Wrestling Talk. I am your host, as always, Andy, joined by my co-host, Dale. And today we have an amazing guest for you guys. Um, we have John with us today, historian, writer, um, all-round wrestling legends and knowledge base. So thanks, John, very much for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. Yeah, John, no, um, you know, I reached out to you and I was just uh, actually extremely like happy that you answered to me and um, just was able to communicate with you. And um, I wish that there was more people like you um, because of the fact that um, there's not too many trusted historians out there. A lot of people actually like to claim that they know this stuff, um, but it's just that they have a few dolls in their house and they know a lot about the person that portrayed a character. Um, and that's really not the, it's not the meat and potatoes about the business. You know what I'm, I'm saying? I think just a lot of people like to claim stake that they are historians and they know things. Well, I mean, for me, it, it just really goes back to um, having a great memory and having a lot of experiences in the business. Uh, you know, certainly not uh, a full over the 50 years. I mean, I left wrestling three times, but from the age of seven, watching it on television, to attending my first live show at the age of 14, immediately becoming enamored with uh, the ways I can possibly get involved in the business. And then starting Fred Blassie's fan club when I was 14 and uh, then segueing and bullshitting my way into a uh, press pass at Madison Square Garden at 16 years old. I mean, I've done a lot of things in it, you know, radio shows, promoting conventions, connecting uh, deals. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I've done almost everything in this crazy. And, you know, and your crazy podcast bit. is one of the ones that's trending at the very top at the moment, John, as well, isn't it? Um, I've noticed. Um, it's so excited. I mean, I have two podcasts now, uh, one of which is um, uh, a revamp pro wrestling spotlight and probably it's fourth or fifth incarnation from starting it in college uh, to a, uh, a very one-show run in 1985 when he got thrown off the air, then coming back in 1989 to really start Pro Wrestling Spotlight on terrestrial radio from 89 to 95, and then uh, coming back a couple years ago to um, start Pro Wrestling Spotlight, then and now with Brian Lass on Arcadian Vanguard, and then uh, recently, uh, just a couple of months ago, uh, getting it uh, revamped and with a new co-host, uh, Bob Smith, who's a wrestling historian in, in himself, and and now started another podcast uh, uh, that they're both trending. The second one, the new one, is called Ma Memories from Madison Square Garden, which chronicles uh, uh, all the shows I attended live 50 years ago at the Garden. And once a month, we drop a new show on that anniversary of the 50th year uh, that I attended that show at the garden 50 years ago. So, I mean, yeah, the people are responding. People are digging what I'm, uh, what I'm, uh, supplying to them, which is real history about this business. And that's what I love. It's the fact that it's like, all right, now people are really paying attention to like stars prior. Like I take, for example, and I was saying this to my brother too, you know, like I didn't understand like how good Bret Hart was when I first started watching, you know, I'm 36 years old. Uh, when I first started watching, I was just like, Oh, there's the guy who's the champion for a while. And now I'm looking back. I said, I don't think I'll ever see a guy like him again. Um, you know, as far as uh, just the persona and how he was 
what he said he was the excellence of that uh, execution. Now, do you, yeah. do you feel that a lot more people are being historians on this because, um, or like trying to go back into history because of just what they consider now wrestling is just a lack of um, like great wrestlers. Uh, I think there's certainly great wrestlers today, but I think the style the presentation is certainly different. Uh, but it's evolution. I mean, the business, you know, had to evolve from the days of George Hackenschmidt and, you know, Jim Lundis, you know, to the Buddy Rogers, Lupez era, to Bruno San Martino, to Pedro Morales, to Hulk Hogan, to Bret Hart, um, to the McFoley's. I mean, the business has evolved, um, you know, and now it's just different. But uh, it's hard to... Um, it's hard to kind of pick one ear over the next, you know, if you're in a younger demo, you're going to like today's wrestling for the most part. And then you kind of miss the way it used to be. And I miss the way it used to be, but it's evolution. That's why we go back. I wanted to ask John was, do you know, nowadays the, um, I know like John, the, 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 the early 90s and obviously through the attitude there, et cetera, they really took a long time to turn a story and, kinds of thing do you know like obviously you know when you first started out in the 50 it, 50 years ago it was kind of to be a match but to be no kinds of builds of a story towards it because it was live crowds back then and not a lot of television do you feel like well, we've just gone full circle on that or yeah i mean well i mean back then i mean it was really a quick uh you know watching it from the perspective of a wwf fan uh back then they would bring a heel in to face the champion They'd give them a three or four week buildup on television, uh, maybe a match uh, at the Garden to squash uh, one of the uh, secondary tier performers like a Gorilla Monsoon or Chief J Strongbow or Victor Rivera. And then they'd get the title shot. And then it would be usually a one, two or three match series. Uh, and then it was done. And that was their formula. But the formula worked. Uh, the, the longer storylines uh, you know, sometimes took place back then as well. I mean, you had a long, uh, you had feuds with Bo Brazil and the Sheik that lasted for years. You had Freddie Blasley and John Tolis, uh, which was another long drawn out storyline. Uh, but I, I guess when the Attitude Era really kicked in, you know, those storylines uh, developed, uh, you know, from the Mr. McMahon character on up. Uh, but today it's kind of like hot shotting in a lot of ways. I mean, directions change on a week-to-week basis rather than a month-to-month or a quarterly or yearly basis. I mean, years ago, uh, when even WrestleMania was starting, uh, Vince McMahon really kind of uh, plotted what he was going to do a year in advance. Mm -hmm. And even back in the 70s, they knew who was going to be coming in months and months in advance. I mean, Vince McMahon Sr. and Jr., they had this formula, all right, this is when this heel's coming in. This is when he's going to leave. This is the next guy coming in. So it was really much more uh, planned uh, than it is today. Mm. And do you think that's nowadays it's because, you know, like my kids, I've got two kids who are both at 11 and I like, I watch them on YouTube and they'll be watching say, you know, a, a character or whatever it is on there. And then the next week I'll come in or the next couple of days after and then, oh, are you watching such and such? And they'll go, oh, no, we're watching this one now. And that's the new big thing. It's, it seems like they haven't got the attention span anymore to kind of really stick with something for long term. 
Yeah, I think that's uh, certainly the case. And with social media, with the way uh, content is delivered instantaneously and the, uh, the huge volume of content that's out there on all the platforms, uh, that's just the way it is today. I mean, the, the attention spans of people are much shorter, uh, even on YouTube. I mean, you know, if you get to put a three to five minute clip up, I mean, that sometimes is a little too long. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's just a, it's just a way evolution has happened, I think. I look, and you go on social media and you just see all these constant ads that come up and it's not, this product does this because of this. It's people shouting, lots of colors being blasted at you. And mm -hmm. just here's the one word of the product. So uh, it's like you said, we're maybe evolving or devolving. Who knows? Well, I mean, whatever it is, it's uh, it's programming. You know, you're, you're being programmed to uh, everything today uh, from media to advertising to uh calls to action, different types of campaigns. It's all, it's all too much. You know, <laughs> I prefer the simplistic times, but we're not there anymore, but you got to try to uh, kind of, you know, get rid of the noise if you could, and then just kind of focus on the things that make you most happy and passionate about. We need more, we need more pitch men like Reagan was anyway. Um, so basically just to circle back around to your career uh, now, um, you know, you were back on the road, uh, like a good portion of time. Right. So I figured, you know, at some point you'd be stuck with a bar tab, correct. Or you would be start uh, stuck with a check as far as, you know, eating or anything who would try, who would try and do that? Um, I really, as far as on the smaller groups, you know, I never really had that situation or that problem. I mean, when I did uh weekend of champions wrestling convention, uh, I remember one situation that when I was closing up shop, the convention was winding down. I get hit with a bar tab where the, you know, the night before, I mean, everyone was charging their drinks to my room. Uh, and uh, it was quite a hefty tab. Uh, so, I mean, when it comes to that type of uh, stuff, it happened as a promoter. And, uh, you know, one famous story, this is not about a bar tab, but it's about a plane ticket. Uh, it was one of the last shows I promoted in 1996, I think it was. And it was Mil Moscaris, who was actually one of my heroes. Uh, I booked him in the main event at a show in Phoenix, Arizona. And he shows up uh, in the dressing room because I bought everybody their tickets in advance, their plane tickets. And he's like, John, I upgraded myself to first class. You give me the difference. And I'm like, no, I, I didn't agree to that. And he kept harping on it. And even for months later, he'd call me up, John, it's Mil Moscaris. What about this plane ticket? And I had left the business and at the end of 96. And about a year later, I get a call from him asking about that plane ticket. So that was kind of an interesting scenario. He earned his keep, though. <laughs> I guess when yeah. I ever see him again, he's going to ask me about that freaking plane ticket. <laughs> I'm just talking about planes and stuff like that, obviously, you know, the, the two biggest stars of the early days from Britain were the Dynamite Kid and Davey Boy Smith. Did you have any dealings with the Bulldogs at all? Uh, not uh, Dynamite Kid, but Davey I did. Uh, Davey I booked on some personal appearances uh, when I had Pro Wrestling Spotlight on Long Island. And uh, I brought him and Jimmy, Jim Neidhart in to sign autographs at a bowling alley, uh, ironically. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, But he was, you know, they were nice. You know, Nineheart, uh, not so much with me. 
uh, and had booked him and Brutus Beefcake on a show in Caracas, Venezuela, 1995, and uh, we sent them their plane tickets and whatever, and they didn't show. Called them Ugh. up from the show. I mean, because we had at Conan there, Psychosis, Sabu, Nikolai Volkov, the original Doink the Clown, Matt Osborne, uh, a big troop, Hercules Hernandez. And, you know, they were two of the biggest uh, advertised stars and they just didn't show up mm. and called them. And uh, they were like, they just started laughing on the phone. Like, you know, we're not coming to that show. And, uh, and, and so I never forgot that, you know, that was kind of a, pretty shitty thing yeah. for them to do. I agree. You know, um, but you mentioned Conan before, and yeah. I was just so happy to hear you on there the other day. Cause I think now take whatever you want. Um, you know, I like when people all get along and do things and, um, you know, I feel like what it is right now, people are like, Oh, there's a WWE crowd and there's an AEW crowd. Like what you like, like everything. It's fine. And you got to call out the good with the bad as well for any type of company. And that's why I'm just, I love hearing you on every platform. So, you know, that's why I'm just super excited for you to be with us today. With that being said, not with Conan or anything like that, but, um, you know, was there ever somebody, because everybody back then was more vain. You see how badly people dress on camera now. Was there anybody that ever was like, I don't want you to film from this angle. I don't want you to get me. They are in the ring, so they're doing active shots. and They're not usually, you know, uh, at the most flattering levels, especially with sweat, debris, all that stuff. But was anybody just very self-conscious? I don't recall any of that ever happening to any of the shows that I promoted, like anyone not wanting a specific angle or don't shoot this or no. I mean, I really uh, I didn't have that experience. OK. I, I know that the vanity was a big thing. So especially with the way people dressed and stuff like that. So I, it was just curious. This is you know, like to get paid and do their job. And, and that was the, that was it. So uh, I who, never who was, your, who, who was your favorite person to shoot? Uh, you're talking about if, as a photographer. Yeah. Yeah. So like <laughs> when you were a photographer and you, yeah, I mean, uh, not like this, of course. Um, <laughs> But uh, superstar Billy Graham was always one of my favorites because uh, he knew when he knew where the camera was at all times. The Valiant Brothers with Captain Lou Albano were always favorites of mine to shoot as a photographer back then. Andre the Giant, just because he was Andre the Giant. And every picture I took of him, I was uh, just uh, so like I just couldn't believe that I was shooting this guy who uh, was just an unbelievable uh, presence. Um, so those were, you know, my favorite uh, subjects to shoot Spiro Sarion and all the one in the seventies that I just I couldn't get enough of. Uh, he yeah, was okay. just very believable. Brilliant. And since you brought it up, who would you like, who was the one you would have liked to most shoot? <laughs> um, what do you mean this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if it comes to something like that, it probably would have been Jake the Snake Roberts. Because uh, he, uh, he put me through hell for a couple of years, and uh, I'm still really not enamored with him. Nice. I, I mean, you know, over the past few years, they had a redemption tour on him, and it's just like you could still hear bitterness in his voice with a lot of things. So, and that's why it's just. Jake had not- a lot of demons. He had a lot of demons, and I hope uh, that he has. Uh, uh, come to terms with everything and and stays on uh, a path that's going to uh, be uh, less dangerous for him uh, from drug consumption on down. But the way he 
the way he was back in the early 90s when I was uh, involved uh, with making him a lot of money, um, I was not uh, I was not treated very kindly ever mm. by him. Did that have to do with a certain signing in Merrick that he didn't show for? Well, he was there, but he was too fucked up to. Uh, <laughs> and that was at LNS Comics. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Were you there at that? Uh, no, uh, no, not that day. But I yeah. do remember knowing about it and hearing. Yeah, about it was it. Um, it was uh, not a good situation. And the Power Twins, fortunately, were uh, there and they stepped in. But uh, that was a big disappointment. And uh, Larry Spitz and Steve, who own LNS Comics, were uh, just so angry and rightfully so. And I was just so yeah. embarrassed. I was just so embarrassed. Yeah. It's no at all. So just one question I want to ask, if you don't mind, John, is how did you end up getting in the ring with Dusty Rhodes? Uh, it was uh, more of me being curious on what it would be like to be a wrestler. And uh, I was a prominent photographer at the time. And uh, one of my friends was Ernie Roth, the Grand Wizard of Wrestling. He was uh, a close friend of mine. And uh, it was in the latter part of 77. And I called him. I said, listen, I think I want to go in the ring and give this a shot. And and he's like, what are you, crazy? What? Why would you want to do that? I was like, I don't know. I just kind of would like to get in there. So uh, he, uh, you know, I used to go to the Philadelphia TV tapings uh, all the time. Uh, and uh, he set it up for me to go. And uh, he was very trepidatious about it. And uh, certainly I was in the back of my mind. I was like, well, this would be a good story to write for the magazines, you know, cause I was a contributing editor for ring wrestling. Mm-hmm. I was like, if, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to have a career in it. I just wanted to see what it would be like. And I show up January 10th, 1978 Philadelphia arena, where I've been many, many times in the past and Gorilla Monsoon's the booker. Uh, he comes out and he kind of recognizes me cause I shot pictures of him for years. And um, he goes, where have you worked? John, I was like, I did a lot of work down south. I do, I do a lot, and that was bullshit. I didn't ever step into a ring, uh, and I had bought some gear uh, from KNH Wrestling, which is where everybody got their stuff back then. And you got your gear with you. I was like, Yep. Yeah. He goes, Heel or baby? And I was like, Heel. And that was it. And I was just, I didn't know what to do. I because I, I never, I, I was even afraid to get into going to the dressing room. Yeah. And I and Ernie, the wizard comes out and he's in the hallway. And I'm like, can you find out who I'm wrestling? And he goes, all right. Goes in five minutes later, comes out. Dusty Rhodes. I was like, holy smokes. Um, and I get into the dressing room and then uh, uh, there I am sitting next to Spiros Arion. I'm putting on my gear and I was scared shitless. And and people recognized me like Vince McMahon recognized me and he went wow. to Napolitano and he was like, I didn't know our Rizzi was a worker. And Napolitano said, I didn't either, you know, so, <laughs> so they kept their eye on me and they put me in the ring with a guy named Savannah Sousa. It just kind of, they made it a handicap match. And, uh, and, you know, within the first few seconds, it was evident that I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, I was told the match would go four minutes and it did. And I didn't know how to go with a body slam. I didn't know how to do anything. And Dusty got pretty pissed at me. Uh, rightfully so, because I shouldn't have been in there because, you know, you have to protect your opponent. And I didn't know what I was doing. So his elbows to the top of the head were really stiff. And and he picked me up for a body slam. I didn't go with it right. And he 
just picked me up and dropped me dead weight on Sylvana Sousa and then sat on my head to pin me. Uh, and that was <laughs> the end of that. And then I wrestled again that night, if you could call it that. I had a match with uh, Joe Turco, uh, legendary uh, uh, enhancement guy, against Chief J. Strongbow and uh, Peter Mavia, the Rock's grandfather. Uh, and in that match, I was told to stay out of the ring the entire time. The whole match would be about Turco trying to tag me in, and they could never, he can never quite get there. Uh, and then at the end of the match, I get the tag get thrown in over the top rope, get thrown into the corner, and Peter Mavir gives me a, a headbutt. I fall back, and Strongbow pins me one, two, three. And that was about a 10-minute match. And and that was it. I was supposed to wrestle Bob Backlund that night on the oh, third wow. ending. And after the second match, Monson was like, you're done for the night. And I got my got my uh, $100, uh, $10 deducted from my Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission license, and I walked out of there with a concussion and 90 bucks. <laughs> Hey, that's good. That's a, that's a wonderful uh, on-the-job training then. And I wrote about it, so it was good. The story did come out, ring wrestling writer tries his luck in the ring. So I did have a story that came out in uh, 79. I waited a little while before that thing was in there. I didn't want anyone to think anything of it. But what it did was it kind of uh, cost me my photography gig because uh, the next month I showed up at Madison Square Garden uh, and it was a big night. It was superstar Billy Graham losing the title that night to Bob Backlund. And I set up at ringside like I have done for years. And uh, before the first match, I get pulled from ringside, get brought in the back. And they're like, you can't take pictures anymore. You, you're on our TV. You're just on our TV. And your picture's in the program tonight. You know, <laughs> wrestling Strongbow. You know, so it's in the program. And, I, and that was it. I jobbed myself out of a job. And that, uh, was, that was the end of the first uh, wrestling run for the most part. Well, look, you wrote about it in Matt Memories, which is on sale right now. It's on Amazon, correct? There it is, folks. Yes. It's got McCauley to sign it finally because he wrote one of the forwards. Uh, he was here in Nashville uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was able to see Mick. But, yeah, Matt Memories is a story of my life, and it's out. Brilliant. Well, we, as you say, we, we are going to have to wrap it up very shortly. I do apologize, John. Uh, All right. We'd love to have you, you on again. Uh, next time with a bit of a longer content, if that'd be great with you. Can you tell us a bit more about your book before we finish? Yeah, uh, the book really is out. Uh, it's a story about my life, not only in pro wrestling, but in country music and with the New York Mets. Uh, so it kind of chronicles everything that I did in a crazy journey across uh, uh, my life professionally, uh, personally. Great stories in it. Available everywhere, really, Met Memories. And, uh, of uh, course, the podcast. Uh, whereabouts is that available in the UK? Just for people uh, like me. Amazon. Amazon. You can get it uh, any place you buy a book. You can get Matt Memories. Brilliant. Or if you want an autographed copy, a signed and numbered copy, send me an email, john at mattmemories.com. Oh, wonderful. Brilliant. Thank Fantastic. you. Uh, Andy, um, I think uh, pretty much I know we're a little bit short on time. We wanted to ask you how and thank you for bringing Vince Russo in. Andy uh, actually interviewed Vince Russo um, for the channel as well. So for WrestleBuddy. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. a long story in itself. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we are kind of like uh, we've had a, a detente, and we are. Uh, it, it was a long history, as everybody knows. <laughs> but I have no well, animosity or hate in my heart towards him at all. I mean, uh, of course, we're all humans. Everything that happened was thirty years ago. 
Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like, well, as I say, I interviewed them for Wrestle Buddies. It's a, another channel that I work for. It's a website that I work for. Um, I write for them and, and I do interviews for them. And um, to be fair to him, he was very, very articulate and he, he come across very well. And, you know, he wasn't bitter about anybody. You know, it, it, yeah. when I interviewed him, it was not what I expected. Yeah, I'm going to reach out to him in the next week or so because I'm covering that era now on Pro Wrestling Spotlight Podcast when we become partners. Mm. So he's on these shows every week now. I'm going to call him up so he can hopefully re- review those with me on the podcast. Wonderful. I, I look forward to hearing that, man. Yeah. And John, what we'll do is as well, guys, just um, if you look in the description link, we will put John's podcast there. Make sure you go and give it a listen. It's very, very good and uh, very informative as well. And John, thanks so much for joining us here. Um, hopefully we can have you on again and we can go a bit along more format. If you've got the time, that'd be amazing. Um, but thanks so much for from me and Dale. We really appreciate you coming on today. Thank hey, you very I'm, much, John. I'm uh, always available if you need to talk to me again, and I thank you for inviting me. Brilliant. Thanks, Guys, so much, John. make sure you leave some comments in the comments section. We will also leave John's Twitter on here as well. Make sure you go over and follow him on Twitter. Uh, have a look at the content that he's churning out there. It's amazing content, and um, make sure that you do go and have a look at it. But until next time, guys, thanks so much for watching, and we will see you again. Take care. Bye now.